Hey, you guys, I need to tell you that uh, this is on a pretty serious note. Some of you know about this from Twitter and from Facebook with Dick and Ruth Foth. Dick Foth is one of our pastors on our teaching team. They've been on our staff for about five years. And Ruth has had a cardiac event. And last Wednesday morning, they were in Estes Park with six couples that they love. And they're, they're pastors from all around the country. And they meet with Dick and Ruth every year to just kind of get a tune-up in their spirit, their heart. And Foths are great about doing that. And they were sitting there at breakfast, and one of the gals was sharing about a hard time she's going through. And Ruth raised her hand and said, may I say something? And when Ruth does that, you listen, because she doesn't say much. You know, Dick does all the talking, right? But, boy, they all stopped, and she said, I, I've, I have in my memory a poem that I've used for years. And she said this poem, and when the last word of the poem came out of her mouth, her head went back and she slumped down and completely collapsed. She had what is called a ventricular fibrillation, or your heart races, and she was pretty much completely gone. The paramedics made it there in three minutes, which probably saved her life, and they did the defibrillator on her heart, and they said, we brought her back. They took her to the medical center in, in Estes, and then they flew her flight for life to MCR, where she is currently. They gave us three options on Wednesday. Either she will never wake up, um, or she will wake up with brain damage, or she will wake up and potentially fully recover. Well, on Friday morning at about 2.30 a.m., Ruth woke up, and within just a few hours, all of her motor skills, her cognitive skills, we believe, and they're saying she's going to fully recover. Thank God. So keep the foes in your prayers. Really scary week. And uh, isn't it ironic that Pastor Dick, last weekend, his message, if you were here, was you never know when trouble can come. And we just never know from day to day what, what can impact our lives so greatly. So thank you for praying. He also said, please tell Timberline thank you. So many of you have written and Facebook and, and been a part of their journey, and it just means everything to them. So know that. Okay, let's dive in. How many of you notice anything different up here? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to buy all of you a four-wheeler on the last weekend of the summer. And we're <laughs> that sounds good, doesn't it? No, we have all this stuff here, and it's really fun just to kind of see all this. But we're going off-road for the summer. We decided to have a really fun, different summer series, and yet really meaningful. We're going to dive into the book of Exodus, and we're going to go kind of section by section. Exodus is not an easy book. In the Bible. It's the second book of the Bible if you're a new believer. Genesis is sort of the creation of man. And then Exodus, the reason it's called Exodus is because it's the exit of the Israelites, God's chosen people, his hand was upon them to be a witness to the world from Egypt. So there's the great Exodus when they're heading out. And it's tough, it's pretty brutal. Egypt was tough on the Israelites. And so today I've simply called this message, I'm out of here. I'm out of here because when I see all these, this terrain and this kind of vehicles, it just makes you want to get on them and go up to the mountains of beautiful Colorado. We live here. Turn to your neighbor and say, we live here. Say, I need a four-wheeler. <laughs> right? 
or a motorcycle, right? <laughs> oh, I just had wives looking at me like. <laughs> but, well, have you ever said, how many of you have actually said, I'm out of here? Okay, what did you mean when you said that? Just say to talk to me. I'm done. It's over. I'm sick of it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's this idea when we say, I'm out of here, it just means I'm not, I can't take this anymore. And, and I'm, I, don't know, I don't really care where I'm going, I just know I can't do this. We get to those places in our lives for various reasons. Some of you have been there with your physical body, chronic pain, physical illness, and it's just, it's just some days you just want to check out. It would almost be easier to die. I've never had chronic pain, but I can't imagine how much suffering goes on with some of you who have that. Some of you are in relationships, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, and it's painful right now. There's rejection or there's, uh, you know, this oppression. Some of you are in a marriage that you're wondering, should I be out of here? It's hard. Marriage is a big commitment. It takes a lot of time and effort and energy. And, and God can help us. I want God to help us today, uh, uh, to, to help us to find hope. Some of you have a debt load so big that you've just thought, I'm out of here. I can't do this. Those of you who have filed for bankruptcy, the, the humiliation of that, the challenge of that, God loves you even in your pain. God loves you when you're oppressed. But circumstances and situations can beat on us and push us down. A job you can't stand. A neighbor that's driving you crazy. Um, being estranged from your kids or parents or another family member and the, 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 the tough relational dynamics of a family. I could go on and on and on about all the things that we face in our lives. And sometimes we are in those situations where we just want to run away. Well, that's what happens in this book of Exodus is Israel is eventually going to run away from Egypt. And they want to get out of there because it got so bad. And we're going to take a look at that today. But here's my question before we dive into the outline on the back of your program today. How do you handle stressful situations that creep up in your life? What is your response? Do you get bitter, angry, humbled? You know, I, I grew up with a lot of cousins, big family. We'd be on the farm in Kansas, and uh, the cousins that were older than me would take us. There's about three or four of us about the same age. And they would hold us down, and they would put their knees on our arms and thump on our heads like this. Anybody ever have that happen to you? Wish they would do that now. I would call 911, and they would go to jail. Right? And that's not how it was on the farm, though. You had to just kind of fight your way out of that, and then we got to do it to the younger cousins after us. That's what happens, though. It plants these seeds in your mind, and then you can have an angst towards someone. You can actually not like someone, and that seed begins to grow. How do you handle? The Israelites were people that God had blessed for a reason. He was choosing them for uh, a roadmap of how you should live godly. They didn't always do that well, but that's where we are in the story. So open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1, and we're just going to go right through verses 1 through 22. The first thing in your outline is this. We face the reality that life goes on without us. Now, this is a really quick point. I'm going to read it, and we're going to move on. But I want you to see it, and I want you to feel what happens when I read this. These are the names of the sons of Israel. That is Jacob, because Jacob changed his name to Israel, or God did. Who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, 
Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. Now look at verse 6. Stunning. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. In, in one verse, really two words, in time, they're all gone. It's over. Can I just... Can I just help us to understand that time will outlive you and me? Our generation will pass. It will be over. We will die. And the next generation and the next generation may or may not remember us. It's, it's just a challenging thought because so often we think life is forever, but it isn't. This, this just goes about 80 to 100 years just like that. And here's, here's the takeaway for me is will I make a fresh commitment to leave my house in order when it's my time to go. I think we could really be more intentional about saying, whenever it is, whenever my generation's done, whenever that's over, I want to make sure that I can stand before God and feel really good about the legacy that we left behind. So it's just a seed because the king doesn't even remember Joseph, which is so odd after all the great things he did for the kingdom of God. We'll see that in a minute. Number two. There can be a tough reality with blessing and power. Now, we all want blessing and power. We pray for it. Lord, bless my life, my family, our kids. And there's nothing wrong with that. But God blessed the Israelites, and it got them in trouble. How can that happen? Let me just, let me just show you how that can happen. Verse 7, but their descendants, and all those guys' kids, the Israelites, and that's what they're going to be called now from now on in Exodus, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful, and they filled the land. That's a good thing, right? You want that. That's the blessing of God. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, some of the Hebrew words in the Old Testament, when it says they, they, they were fruitful, it's a general term that talks about trees that bear fruit, and the branches are hanging down with all this luscious fruit. They just had kids and lots more kids, and the women were fertile, and they were safe. When it uses the word increase, it uses another word that, that talks about the fish in the sea, schools of fish, swarms of fish, and how the Israelites were just multiplying like schools of fish in the sea. As a matter of fact, in about 215 years from this moment when we started reading this, the Israelites were over 600,000 people in population. So it didn't take them long to get really exponential growth. And they became a threat to the king. And that's what's fascinating to me is, you know, when you're blessed like that, matter of fact, the, the Hebrew women were really fruitful. Some scholars talked about the fact that no one ever died giving birth. They probably had twins multiple times. To, to grow with that much population that fast, that's what would have had to have happened. And so it's fascinating that they appear to have very few women died, and, and God was really blessing them. But the king noticed this, and all of a sudden, they're growing like crazy. And the king says, this is not okay. We'll see that in a second, but here's what I want you to think about with me. I want us to realize that not everybody is going to rejoice with you when you are successful. Some people will be angry. They will feel like they deserve what you got. They, they will live with an angst toward others who are in a different social status, whatever. 
not even doing with money, but friendships, circles of influence. Not everybody's going to be happy when you get an A on the test. Matter of fact, I had a good friend, Brad, who was one of my best friends in college, and, and I sort of breezed through high school, but then when I got to college, it was kind of a different deal. And uh, I wasn't used to that, so I was, he's a 4.0 student. I just hate 4.0 students. No, not really. I don't hate them very much. I, uh, no. Some of you who are 4.0s, I mean, I don't know how you do it. I was never a 4.0 student. I'm like a B, C plus B guy. And um, I just, I just had, but I would study with Brad. I would know everything he knew, but I didn't test well. I like overread the question. I'm trying to think they're asking for something else. And, and I would trick myself and, you know, worry and anxiety. But Brad would come out. Sure enough, he would set the curve if they used the curve and make me so mad because, you know, he's got a 98 and every, everyone else starts at 74, you know. And so <laughs> it's clear up here. But I, I, not everyone really liked him because he, he was so intelligent and so brilliant. And, and that's the point I'm trying to make is this king was really jealous and, and he, he wasn't happy that they had had that experience. That's what's going to happen in our lives sometimes as we get the blessing of God. We need to realize that. Number three, the trouble with paranoia. Now we're moving into where the story gets warped. And so I want you to listen to what happens to the king and his mentality and his logic because we can learn from this. We can learn what not to be. Verse 8, eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. Isn't that interesting? He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, look at all the ifs here. If we don't, if war breaks out, and they will, join, they will join our enemies and they will fight against us, then they will escape from the country. When, when I think about what happens when people are paranoid and the brain kicks into gear and it just goes crazy, then that's, that usually is not a good sign. I hope we don't have that issue in our lives. This new king, most scholars believe it was Ramsey, uh, Ramsey's Maimon, if it wasn't him, it was for sure his son, who was uh, Aminophus. This was happening around 1604 B.C., just to give you a time scale. And I started thinking about what was happening in these pharaohs' minds to say, they're getting too big, they have too much power, I've got to take care of this. They're going to overrun us. And I started thinking about how you and I, if we're not careful, what is the, what is the pattern of thought in my life? that takes me to a place that's not so good? When is it that I start having self-image issues that, that I have to sort of judge somebody or throw the dagger at them or throw them under the bus or say something that I normally wouldn't say because it's pain to me? Their success is hurting me. And I know, I know none of you would ever do that. But I'm going to ask you to look deep inside to see how can those seeds be planted in you, even with people you love, even with people you've cared about? Well, good things just always happen to them. Why do they get that? Why do they, that happens to them? Why did they get the job? They don't deserve the job. Not everyone's happy about your promotion. I, I have a friend who says this playing golf. I think it's such a great line. Someone hit a really good shot or someone hit a really bad shot, and he'll say, every golf shot makes somebody happy. It's really true. 
See, the king was trying to hold on to something that was bigger than his influence. He, he, he wanted to take it back. Have you ever had those? I remember as a kid, they made these little rubber grip things that had fluid or something in them, and when you grabbed them, they would pop out. Anybody remember those? And you could squeeze real hard, and then it would, like, fly across the room. But you couldn't hold on to them was the point. The, the harder you gripped it, the farther it jumped away from you. And I, I just see Christians, followers of Jesus so often, trying to hold on to what they think is theirs. Can I just, can I just say, there's nothing that's yours. There's nothing that's mine. I, I am called to steward what God puts in my hands. That includes my wife, my kids, every material possession I have. I don't own it. It's just in my hands at the moment to steward it. How can I best use this relationship? How can I best be fully invested? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But not this king. This king is saying, it's mine. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to do everything in my power to let people know I'm in charge here. Man, that's a bad sign, you guys. Think about where you are with all that. Number four, what happens to people to make them so brutal? This gets so ugly, it's convicting. It, it does get worse. In verse 11, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, look at this, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. It's just escalating on both sides. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and bricks and make bricks and do all of the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all of their demands. Wow. What goes on in the mind of someone who wants to be brutal and cruel to someone else? I, I know in recent 30 to 60 days, some of the things that, I'm, I'm not even going to go into the details of it, but some of the things that have gotten press that have happened in this country with brutality, it's, does, it, does it shock you? It still shocks me. And I think, how could someone do this? How could this be happening in a neighborhood in our country? And yet it is. Because people, something can snap. And, and I doubt very much that, that m m any of us would be in that category. But then I thought, why would I say that? Why would I think that? We're human too. We have tendencies too. You know, if you have a little temper and you see a little anger and you, you see something pop out of you sometimes, it's really ugly and you go, wow, I better pay attention to that. How much power do you need if you could push someone down? If you could win, would you use your power to humiliate others? That's what this king was doing. There's so much brutality in our world. And I kept thinking, I was praying this week, God, show me. Those seeds are planted in us, you guys. Those seeds get planted, and I don't think we always know that they're there. Racism, that prejudice, those seeds that come, and we, we feel justified by our— if you understood what I went through, if you know what they did to me, and it, it, can, it can be brutal. And this king took it upon himself to make them suffer to make them suffer. I just want us to say, God, show me my heart. Show me the truth about me. Is any of that in me? 
Number five, it gets worse. However, there's some good news here. Sometimes we just need to do the right thing. Sometimes we just need to do the right thing. There's a little shiny spot in the midwives, and they're going to take a big risk and put their life on the line. Look at this in verse 15. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew, that would be the Israelites, midwives, Shifra and Puah. Matter of fact, there's probably about 500 midwives, uh, and these are the two leaders of the midwives. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. I can't imagine. But because the midwives feared God, I love that phrase, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. That could get them killed, just by the way. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this, he demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? And then their explanation is a little humorous because they had to make up something. The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly we cannot get there in time. <laughs> How many of you have babies quickly? Okay, good for you. Sir, put your hand down. I don't know why. You... He must have been talking about his wife, I guess. But... <laughs> and because the midwives feared God, God gave them families of their own. That's touching. Here, here's, here's something just to think about with the, with the midwives. The first thing I thought of is they feared God more than man. Can I just tell you, good things are going to happen in your life when you fear God more than you fear man. You might pay the price of that someday, but it's worth paying. They could have faced death for this, but God spared them and multiplied their families. Sometimes you just do the right thing, and you know it's the right thing, and your integrity tells you it is. Your character pushes for that. And we're in a culture where it's tougher and tougher to do that, especially guidelines by this book. In the coming years, we're going to see that this book divides a lot of people, and it could be hostile. And we have to understand that we fear God more than we fear man. That doesn't mean we're angry and we're mean and we do stupid stuff, right? But it means we humbly serve our God with kindness and grace, and if we die, we die. If we live, we live. If the blessing of God comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But we're going to do the right thing. I fear God more than man. It's comforting in some ways. They also, I love this about them. They responded within the realm of their responsibility. You know, they didn't go to the king and say, I'm going to fix the politics of Egypt. They, they didn't get involved in that. They, they said, we have responsibility with these pregnant women. We're going to have our influence here, right now. Can I just propose, you live where you live for a reason. You work next to the people that you work next to for a reason. God has placed you, and I think sometimes God says, hello, I'm putting this right in front of you. That's your realm of influence. Use it for the glory of God. Don't just chase off into someone else's realm of influence. Use the realm you have. It's been put in your hand. Let's do that well. And then I see that God blessed them for doing the right thing. And, and sometimes God blessing, God's blessing comes in different ways and it comes at different times. 
But when we fear God and we use the influence we've been given, usually good things happen and the result is great. Let's keep that in mind as we go to the last point. The sixth thing in your outline is that God can bring us out of darkness. God can really bring us out of darkness. This story ends really dark right here. Verse 22, it says, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. That's pretty dark. That's pretty ugly. And a lot of little boys died. And we say, how could God let that happen? I don't know. I don't understand it all. But even when I don't see God at work, I know God is at work. Because next week, there's going to be a little boy named Moses in chapter 2 of Exodus. Please read ahead. And God is going to use Moses to get those people out of there. But it's going to take longer than I wish it did. And that's a message for some of you right now, is that you're praying, you're trusting God, and you don't see his hand at work. His hand's at work. It's just, it's just never in the timetable that I want it to be. But he's at work. Believe me, he is. He's at work with those situations that are driving you crazy, and you don't see God at work. Sometimes we don't. But God is at work. I, uh, I know going through dark times is not easy. When... When Ruth Foth finished the poem and slumped over and they had to bring her back, we know that these words could have very well been the last words that ever came out of her mouth on this earth. And I'm going to read the poem to you. I want you to hear it and I want you to think about what she was saying. She actually, when she said, I want to say something, she was nervous about saying something because she doesn't do that very often. She actually said to the group, wow, I feel nervous saying and my heart is pounding. This is the poem. It's, it's called For Those Who Are Tired. It's by Grace Noel Crowell. And we put that on the screen so you can Google it and find this if you want it. Dear child, God does not say today be strong. He knows your strength is spent. He knows how long the road has been, how weary you have grown. For he who walked the earthly roads alone, each bogging lowland and each rugged hill, can understand. And so he says, be still and know that I am God. The hour is late and you must rest a while. And you must wait until life's empty reserves fill up. As slow rain fills an empty, upturned cup. Hold up your cup, dear child, for God to fill. He only asks today that you be still. Lord, thank you that there are times in our lives when you ask us to be still. Because we are weary, we feel spent, and we don't know what else to do. Show us to trust you in those moments as well and not to be afraid of those moments in our lives. Show us, God, how to listen to your word and your strength. Lord, I pray for people in this room right now that are weary, that are burdened, that are struggling, 
that need you. With heads bowed, I just feel like God is really prompting me to ask a couple of things. And, and this is kind of heavy duty. But I, I just, I, I'm, I'm personally bringing faith to this weekend to pray life into some of you. And I want some of you who are doing well, who can pray that with me, to really pray in agreement. Really pray in agreement with me in a minute. But I want to pray, first of all, for those of you that are suffering. And you would just be honest to say, it could be any of those situations that I was describing earlier about money problems, family problems, relationships, marriage. It could be job. It could be you're just, there's suffering. It could be that someone is actually oppressing you and threatening you. I don't know what it is, but there's suffering going on in your life. And I want to tell you this. God cares and God sees you need to know that. God sees you right now. You don't feel it, maybe, but he does. I'm sent here to tell you that. I believe it. And I want to pray over you. If you're suffering for any of these things or something I haven't mentioned, would you raise your hand, please? You can put them right back down. I just want to pray. Church, if you didn't raise your hand and that's not you, would you join me in faith? Lord, this matters to us as a fellowship, as the body of Christ. It matters to us that we have brothers and sisters right here among us that are suffering. And I pray for them. We pray for them. We put our arms around them. We weep with them. We feel that stress with them. We join them in their pain. God, I pray for relief even today in their spirit, man, that your work will come and do something so supernatural that even if the circumstances don't change, there will be something that happens in them, in their spirit man that is awakened. They will know you love them. They will know you care. That they will know they're not alone. And that they can know you are working on an outcome that might be different than they could ever dream or imagine. But that you are at work and you are not tired of them. And your request for them is to be still and to upturn their cup and let it rain. Be strong in them, Lord. The second group that God, I think, prompted me to pray for are those of you right on the crespice of needing to do the right thing. Whatever that means to you, and you've kind of known it, but it's a little bit of an integral character. You could do this, but God's calling you to, it's the high road, and I just want to pray over you for strength to do it. Raise your hand if you know that's you, would you? God bless you so much. You can put them right back down. Lord, this, this, I don't think it's a test on your part. I just think it's a confirmation as they've lifted their hands to say, you're with them, you're going to guide them, and they really need to do the right thing here, even if it's difficult, even if there are consequences. I just pray that you will go with them through those consequences and that they can honor you. Give them, please, wisdom to do the right thing in the right way, in the right timing. Don't let them be foolish. I just ask that they would seek counsel of trusted, respected friends if they need to, but that you would help them to do the right thing about something in their life. We trust you in this, God. You're the God who can help us do that. Lord, I know there are others here who just really need to be reminded that they can trust you in this situation that they're currently in. Some of you, it's just, it's just worry, it's anxiety, and I just feel like I can't imagine those Israelites 
the suffering that they endured, the worry that they had, will it always be like this? And I want you to just cast your cares on the Lord today and say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Just do that now if that's you, this situation you're in. I trust you, God. And lastly, if you're here without Christ, alive in your heart, if you've never really said, I want to really be a faith-based person, my faith in Jesus Christ, then right now you can just, just bring your pain to him, bring your sin to him. Just talk to him like I'm talking. Say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you with my future. Forgive me for my sins. And my faith is strong today to believe you died on the cross for me. You took my place. And that's how it starts. That's how I started my faith journey. And I want you to do the same. That's how all of us start. Lord, thank you for the commitments of faith today. Thank you for moments when you touch our hearts deeply. Show us the seeds that Satan would like to plant in us that are evil, that are bitter, that are hateful. May the fruit of those seeds never come out of our mouth, our life, our behaviors. And may those seeds die today because of the presence of an almighty God. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. He is the defender of the weak, amen? He cares about us. Prayer team, would you come now and be available? Some of you just need a moment up here to pray with someone about stuff going on in your life, related or unrelated to today's message, but don't leave without coming and letting us pray with you and agree with you. Some tables in the mall, lots of stuff. You guys, we've said it often around here the last year or so. Say it with me before you go. The service starts now. God bless you outside these walls. Go make a difference, and thanks for coming to Timberline.